Blessed are those servants whom the master will find staying awake when he comes. Truly I tell you that he will clothe himself, will have them sit down at a table, and when he comes by, he will serve them. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Forgiveness and mercy. That's what we're praying for tonight. Forgiveness for the past year. Mercy for the past year too. Forgiveness and mercy. That's really what we need each year, every year, e each day, week, and month too. But we especially need forgiveness and mercy as we draw closer and closer, year by year, day by day, moment by moment, to the last day. Judgment day is coming. The Lord Jesus will come again in glory to judge both the living and the dead. We should always be ready for Jesus to return. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, Jesus says. He's coming at an hour you don't expect. Not only is the hour unexpected, but when Jesus comes, he will do the unexpected. And don't let his apparent delay fool you. He is coming. He's not slow, as some count slowness, but he wants all to reach repentance. His delay is his forgiveness and mercy in action for you and for all. Jesus will return. He will come back. It's not far away. He's not far away. But that's exactly how we live. We live our daily lives as if Jesus isn't going to come back at any moment. We live like we've got all the time in the world. We live like these two statements mean sort of the same thing. When Jesus returns and when pigs fly. Translation, it's never going to happen. But the second or third watch isn't far away. In terms of time, well, that's only 9 p.m. to 3 a.m., but in terms of longer periods of time, where did 2021 go? So also Jesus' coming isn't impossible or unreal. It's just unexpected and unknown. Big difference. But it is soon. Behold, I am coming soon, Jesus says in Revelation. Or as he puts it this evening, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. But how soon is his coming? Well, we should think about it like this. He's on his way. Now, it's not like Jesus is inching closer and closer from heaven back to earth or anything like that. It's just putting it in the terms of he's on his way gets to the urgency and nearness of it. It's close. He's close at the doors. Saying Jesus is on his way, well, it's sort of like how faithful servants might talk about their master who's coming home from a wedding feast. He's coming back. 
He's on his way right now. Our attitude about Jesus is coming back. The Lord is on his way. Our apathy about it. We need mercy and forgiveness. We also need forgiveness and mercy. So we're not afraid by that statement. The Lord Jesus is on his way. But what's he going to do when he gets here? Well, that's also a bit unexpected. Reality is we don't like to think about Jesus coming back. It's a bit unnerving, a bit frightening. The Lord is on his way. Sounds a bit, well, ominous. It sounds like the spiritual religious equivalent of wait till your father gets home. Now, Jesus will come back. And there will be judgment when he does. He is the judge. But we really do expect trouble for his coming. And not just for those who don't believe in him, those who've rejected him, his word, his gifts, and lived for themselves alone. We expect trouble for us, too, for those who even believe in him. But that's not true at all. Jesus wants his second coming to be just like his first coming. He wants it to be about saving his servants. That's what he did at his first coming. That's what he'll do at his second coming, too. He is merciful and gracious, after all, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Jesus comes not to be served, but to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He ransomed his servants from their sins, from their death and from the power of the devil. He gave his life, and then he took it back again. He rose. He ascended. He's going to come back, and when he does, he wants to come and serve his servants forever. And that's the unexpected thing that Jesus lays out in his parable this evening. Blessed are those servants whom the master will find staying awake when he comes. Truly, I tell you that he will clothe himself, will have them sit down at the table, and when he comes by, he will serve them. But that's not how things work in the real world. But it is how things work in Jesus' kingdom. He's going to serve his servants. What sort of Lord will do that? The sort of Lord who gives his life for them. The sort of Lord who gives forgiveness and mercy over and over again to his servants. The sort of Lord who baptizes, who absolves, who writes the Bible, who preaches sermons, who gives his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. That's who. The Lord Jesus is on his way, and he's going to serve his servants. That's the sort of Lord Jesus is. He serves. When? Soon. Very soon. He's on his way. Watch for his coming. Be ready. Be prepared. 
The Lord Jesus is on his way, and he's going to serve his servants. He already does. Forgiveness and mercy. That's what he gives now. Forgiveness for the past year. Mercy for the past year, too. The forgiveness and mercy we need each year, every year, every day, week, and month, too. The forgiveness and mercy we need as we draw closer and closer, year by year, day by day, moment by moment, to the last day. And that's how he gets us ready for his coming, forgiveness and mercy. He clothes us for action. He keeps our lamps burning. What he calls us to do, he freely gives. As Paul says, he is at work within you both to will and to act according to what's pleasing to him. He serves you, his baptism, his absolution, his word, his sermons, his body and blood. See, there's no reason to be afraid or worried or apathetic about it. And he is going to serve you forever. He won't serve you mercy and forgiveness then. You won't need it will be raised imperishable, incorruptible, immortal, as Paul puts it. But Jesus promises, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. And as Paul promises, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that tree of life has 12 kinds of fruit, as Revelation tells us, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. Not only that, Jesus, the Lord of hosts, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations, he will swallow up death forever. The Lord Jesus is on his way, and he's going to serve his servants. What a day that will be. In the name of Jesus. Amen. There was a certain rich man, and there was a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus. In the name of Jesus, what's in a name? Depends on the name. God's name, your name, anyone's name. This parable, is it a parable? It is. Context proves it is. This parable is not about the proper use of wealth. The first clue to that is the names which is a piece to this parable that we often brush over. The final clue comes at the end. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. More here than just how to spend your money. There was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. What's in a name? As far as this parable is concerned, everything. 
When you consider the names, everything else in the parable begins to make sense. And really, it all comes down to this. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord helps. That's Lazarus, or Eliezer. Same name, different languages. Literally, his name means, God is my help. What about the rich man? He has no name. Sometimes he is called Dives, which is just Latin for rich. But in the parable Jesus tells, he's nameless. He's just a certain rich man. How rich? Very. He dressed in purple and fine linen. He had clothes fit for a king, as Proverbs 31 tells us. Clothing that also matched the material used to build the tabernacle or make the clothing for the high priest's vestments, as Exodus tells us. Not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. That is, every day at his house was like a fancy, swanky dinner party. And if he had all this wealth, he surely would have had his name on many things, many deeds, lots of property, lots of things, lots to his name. Everyone would have known his name. Maybe he was even a pillar of the community, but Jesus leaves that aspect to our imagination. No class warfare here. We are all wealthy by the standards of Jesus' day. Yet in spite of all the rich man's things, all his fine clothing, all his feasting and partying, he has no name. Why is this rich man nameless? Well, to help us understand that, we've got to look at the other character in Jesus' story. We need to consider Lazarus. Lazarus had nothing. He was nothing by worldly standards. He was a beggar covered in nothing but sores. He was better off dead. His only friends were dogs who licked his sores. Dogs in Jesus' day uh, were not considered household pets. They were vermin who hung out with the dying, the dead. But yet, he's named. It's not a matter of station or class or what you can do or offer or what you own, have owned, will own. There's no need to make a name for yourself. No legacy needed. We care about such things too much. Deeds and titles and ownership stuff. We care about how our name will live on in this life. 
But none of that matters. It's all a matter of whether or not God knows your name. Jesus kept quiet about the rich man's name and mentioned the other name of, of the poor man. The rich man's name would have been thrown around in his life, but God kept quiet about it. The other man's name was lost in silence, yet God spoke it. Don't be surprised. God is just reading out what was written in his book. You see, God, who lives in heaven, kept quiet about the rich man's name because he did not find it written in heaven. He spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instructions for it to be written down. Or to use language from elsewhere in Scripture and tie it to the parable, Lazarus' name was found written in the Lamb's book of life. He was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He was a true son of Abraham, unlike the rich man. Paul says that those who believe are Abraham's offspring. After all, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. But it's not just that Abraham believed out of the blue. It had to do with what the Lord said, promised, and did. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord is and what he promises. He keeps his promises. That's how he helps and he saves. He is the shield. He is the great reward which is received by faith alone. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord acted for Abraham's benefit. The Lord called Abram not on the basis of Abram's good deeds. Abraham actually believed in the false gods of, the Ur, of Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. That's where he was from. But the Lord had made a promise to save mankind, and so he kept that promise through Abraham. And so he called Abraham to faith and kept him in the faith unto life everlasting using his continual promises. Promises where he says, in you, in your offspring, the promised Savior, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the parable, Lazarus was brought to Abraham's bosom his side. And that's just a roundabout way of saying God's presence. And if the rest of scriptures are to believe, then, well, Lazarus got there by faith alone. He was kept believing and trusting in what Yahweh, the Lord, did for him rather than what he could or did offer the Lord. Lazarus, his name is your comfort today. The way it was for him in Jesus' parable is the way it really is for you 
the Lord acts as your shield and your reward. He helps you. He saves you. He is the shield against your sins and your suffering, even your death. He is your eternal reward. His cross and his empty tomb are the fulfillment of all his Old Testament promises. And now nothing changes the fact that you are known, known by name. It's all in the Lord's name. You are baptized. That's where you were placed into God's name, where his naming you in his book was made yours here and now. That's why you're saved. And baptism does that. As Peter himself says, baptism now saves you. The psalmist says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Those things have your name all over them. Don't trust them. Cling to them. You have God's name all over you. You're baptized. That, that means he's helped you. He has saved you. Cross, death, and resurrection. Nothing can undo Jesus' Calvary or his empty tomb, and so nothing can undo the promises he made to you in holy baptism, where his cross and his empty tomb were given you, as Paul says in Romans 6. Nothing can undo God's name that he gives you for free. You could exchange it for your stuff, like the rich man, but that ends in your eternal ruin. What are you afraid of losing? That's your false god. There's no protection, no shield, no lasting reward there. But the Lord has claimed you as his own. You are his reward. You are his heritage. As we said in the psalm, as we'll sing shortly in the Te Deum, you are the Lord's heritage, that is, his inheritance. What does the Lord want to inherit? You. The Lord then named you with his name at the font, even as the Son of God died and rose for you. This is how he helps and saves, and those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. There was a certain rich man, no name rich man, maybe priest, maybe king, doesn't really matter. Who's Lazarus? Him whom God helps? Child of God. One clothed in purple and fine linens, one covered only with sores, but he was clothed with something far more precious than anything in this world, God's own righteousness that covered all his sins. The rich man was covered by nothing except his riches and his own personal righteousness, which, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. 
You are clothed in Christ's righteousness by holy baptism. You are known. You are died for. You are risen for. You are baptized. And so now, no matter what your name is, your baptismal name, no matter your circumstance in life, you can rejoice. You can believe that you are a little Lazarus. That is, one who has been helped. And those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. In the name of Jesus. There was a certain rich man, and there was a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus. In the name of Jesus. What's in a name? Depends on the name. God's name, your name, anyone's name. This parable, is it a parable? It is. Context proves it is. This parable is not about the proper use of wealth. The first clue to that is the names, which is a piece to this parable that we often brush over. The final clue comes at the end. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. More here than just how to spend your money. There was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. What's in a name? As far as this parable is concerned, everything. When you consider the names, everything else in the parable begins to make sense. And really, it all comes down to this. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord helps. That's Lazarus, or Eliezer. Same name, different languages. Literally, his name means, God is my help. What about the rich man? He has no name. Sometimes, he is called Dives, which is just Latin for rich, but in the parable Jesus tells, he's nameless. He's just a certain rich man. How rich? Very. He dressed in purple and fine linen. He had clothes fit for a king, as Proverbs 31 tells us. Clothing that also matched the material used to build the tabernacle or make the clothing for the high priest's vestments, as Exodus tells us. Not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. That is, every day at his house was like a fancy, swanky dinner party. And if he had all this wealth, he surely would have had his name on many things, many deeds, lots of property, lots of things, lots to his name. Everyone would have known his name. Maybe he was even a pillar of the community, but Jesus leaves that aspect 
to our imagination. No class warfare here. We are all wealthy by the standards of Jesus' day. Yet in spite of all the rich man's things, all his fine clothing, all his feasting and partying, he has no name. Why is this rich man nameless? Well, to help us understand that, we've got to look at the other character in Jesus' story. We need to consider Lazarus. Lazarus had nothing. He was nothing by worldly standards. He was a beggar, covered in nothing but sores. He was better off dead. His only friends were dogs who licked his sores. Dogs in Jesus' day uh, were not considered household pets. They were vermin who hung out with the dying, the dead. But yet, he's named. It's not a matter of station or class or what you can do or offer or what you own, have owned, will own. There's no need to make a name for yourself. No legacy needed. We care about such things too much. Deeds and titles and ownership stuff. We care about how our name will live on in this life. But none of that matters. It's all a matter of whether or not God knows your name. Jesus kept quiet about the rich man's name and mentioned the other name of, of the poor man. The rich man's name would have been thrown around in his life, but God kept quiet about it. The other man's name was lost in silence, yet God spoke it. Don't be surprised. God is just reading out what was written in his book. You see, God, who lives in heaven, kept quiet about the rich man's name because he did not find it written in heaven. He spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instructions for it to be written down. Or to use language from elsewhere in Scripture and tie it to the parable, Lazarus' name was found written in the Lamb's book of life. He was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He was a true son of Abraham, unlike the rich man. Paul says that those who believe are Abraham's offspring. After all, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. But it's not just that Abraham believed out of the blue. It had to do with what the Lord said, promised, and did. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord is and what he promises. He keeps his promises. That's how he helps and he saves. 
He is the shield. He is the great reward which is received by faith alone. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord acted for Abraham's benefit. The Lord called Abram not on the basis of Abram's good deeds. Abraham actually believed in the false gods of the Ur of Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. That's where he was from. But the Lord had made a promise to save mankind, and so he kept that promise through Abraham. And so he called Abraham to faith and kept him in the faith unto life everlasting using his continual promises. Promises where he says, in you, in your offspring, the promised Savior, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the parable, Lazarus was brought to Abraham's bosom. His side. And that's just a roundabout way of saying God's presence. And if the rest of scriptures are to believe, then, well, Lazarus got there by faith alone. He was kept believing and trusting in what Yahweh, the Lord, did for him rather than what he could or did offer the Lord. Lazarus, his name is your comfort today. The way it was for him in Jesus' parable is the way it really is for you. The Lord acts as your shield and your reward. He helps you. He saves you. He is the shield against your sins and your suffering, even your death. He is your eternal reward. His cross and his empty tomb are the fulfillment of all his Old Testament promises. And now nothing changes the fact that you are known, known by name. It's all in the Lord's name. You are baptized. That's where you were placed into God's name where his naming you in his book was made yours here and now. That's why you're saved. And baptism does that. As Peter himself says, baptism now saves you. The psalmist says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Those things have your name all over them. Don't trust them. Cling to them. You have God's name all over you. You're baptized. That, that means he's helped you. He has saved you. Cross, death, and resurrection. Nothing can undo Jesus' Calvary or his empty tomb, and so nothing can undo the promises he made to you in holy baptism, where his cross and his empty tomb were given you, as Paul says in Romans 6. Nothing can undo God's name that he gives you for free. 
You could exchange it for your stuff, like the rich man, but that ends in your eternal ruin. What are you afraid of losing? That's your false god. There's no protection, no shield, no lasting reward there. But the Lord has claimed you as his own. You are his reward. You are his heritage. As we said in the psalm, as we'll sing shortly in the Te Deum, you are the Lord's heritage, that is, his inheritance. What does the Lord want to inherit? You. The Lord then named you with his name at the font, even as the Son of God died and rose for you. This is how he helps and saves, and those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. There was a certain rich man, no name rich man, maybe priest, maybe king, doesn't really matter. Who's Lazarus? Him whom God helps? Child of God. One clothed in purple and fine linens, one covered only with sores, but he was clothed with something far more precious than anything in this world, God's own righteousness that covered all his sins. The rich man was covered by nothing except his riches and his own personal righteousness which, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness by holy baptism. You are known. You are died for. You are risen for. You are baptized. And so now, no matter what your name is, your baptismal name, no matter your circumstance in life, you can rejoice. You can believe that you are a little Lazarus, that is, one who has been helped. And those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. In the name of Jesus. There was a certain rich man, and there was a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus. In the name of Jesus, Amen. what's in a name? Depends on the name. God's name, your name, anyone's name. This parable, is it a parable? It is. Context proves it is. This parable is not about the proper use of wealth. The first clue to that is the names which is a piece to this parable that we often brush over. The final clue comes at the end. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. More here than just how to spend your money. There was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. What's in a name? As far as this parable is concerned, everything. When you consider the names, everything else in the parable begins to make sense. And really, it all comes down to this. 
Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord helps. That's Lazarus, or Eliezer. Same name, different languages. Literally, his name means, God is my help. What about the rich man? He has no name. Sometimes he is called Dives, which is just Latin for rich. But in the parable Jesus tells, he's nameless. He's just a certain rich man. How rich? Very. He dressed in purple and fine linen. He had clothes fit for a king, as Proverbs 31 tells us. Clothing that also matched the material used to build the tabernacle or make the clothing for the high priest's vestments, as Exodus tells us. Not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. That is, every day at his house was like a fancy, swanky dinner party. And if he had all this wealth, he surely would have had his name on many things, many deeds, lots of property, lots of things, lots to his name. Everyone would have known his name. Maybe he was even a pillar of the community, but Jesus leaves that aspect to our imagination. No class warfare here. We are all wealthy by the standards of Jesus' day. Yet in spite of all the rich man's things, all his fine clothing, all his feasting and partying, he has no name. Why is this rich man nameless? Well, to help us understand that, we've got to look at the other character in Jesus' story. We need to consider Lazarus. Lazarus had nothing. He was nothing by worldly standards. He was a beggar covered in nothing but sores. He was better off dead. His only friends were dogs who licked his sores. Dogs in Jesus' day uh, were not considered household pets. They were vermin who hung out with the dying, the dead. But yet, he's named. It's not a matter of station or class or what you can do or offer or what you own, have owned, will own. There's no need to make a name for yourself. No legacy needed. We care about such things too much. Deeds and titles and ownership stuff. We care about how our name will live on in this life. But none of that matters. It's all a matter of whether or not God knows your name.
Jesus kept quiet about the rich man's name and mentioned the other name of, of the poor man. The rich man's name would have been thrown around in his life, but God kept quiet about it. The other man's name was lost in silence, yet God spoke it. Don't be surprised. God is just reading out what was written in his book. You see, God, who lives in heaven, kept quiet about the rich man's name because he did not find it written in heaven. He spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instructions for it to be written down. Or to use language from elsewhere in Scripture and tie it to the parable, Lazarus' name was found written in the Lamb's book of life. He was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He was a true son of Abraham, unlike the rich man. Paul says that those who believe are Abraham's offspring. After all, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. But it's not just that Abraham believed out of the blue. It had to do with what the Lord said, promised, and did. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord is and what he promises. He keeps his promises. That's how he helps and he saves. He is the shield he is the great reward which is received by faith alone. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord acted for Abraham's benefit. The Lord called Abram not on the basis of Abram's good deeds. Abraham actually believed in the false gods of the Ur of Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. That's where he was from. But the Lord had made a promise to save mankind, and so he kept that promise through Abraham. And so he called Abraham to faith and kept him in the faith unto life everlasting, using his continual promises. Promises where he says, In you. In your offspring, the promised Savior, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the parable, Lazarus was brought to Abraham's bosom, his side. And that's just a roundabout way of saying God's presence. And if the rest of scriptures are to believe, then, well, Lazarus got there by faith alone. He was kept believing and trusting in what Yahweh, the Lord, did for him rather than what he could or did offer the Lord. Lazarus, his name is your comfort today. The way it was for him in Jesus' parable is the way it really is for you. The Lord acts as your shield and your reward. He helps you. He saves you. 
He is the shield against your sins and your suffering, even your death. He is your eternal reward. His cross and his empty tomb are the fulfillment of all his Old Testament promises. And now nothing changes the fact that you are known, known by name. It's all in the Lord's name. You are baptized. That's where you were placed into God's name, where his naming you in his book was made yours here and now. That's why you're saved. And baptism does that. As Peter himself says, baptism now saves you. The psalmist says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Those things have your name all over them. Don't trust them. Cling to them. You have God's name all over you. You're baptized. That, that means he's helped you. He has saved you. Cross, death, and resurrection. Nothing can undo Jesus' Calvary or his empty tomb, and so nothing can undo the promises he made to you in holy baptism, where his cross and his empty tomb were given you, as Paul says in Romans 6. Nothing can undo God's name that he gives you for free. You could exchange it for your stuff, like the rich man, but that ends in your eternal ruin. What are you afraid of losing? That's your false god. There's no protection, no shield, no lasting reward there. But the Lord has claimed you as his own. You are his reward. You are his heritage. As we said in the psalm, as we'll sing shortly in the Te Deum, you are the Lord's heritage, that is, his inheritance. What does the Lord want to inherit? You. The Lord then named you with his name at the font, even as the Son of God died and rose for you. This is how he helps and saves, and those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. There was a certain rich man, no name rich man, maybe priest, maybe king, doesn't really matter. Who's Lazarus? Him whom God helps? Child of God. One clothed in purple and fine linens, one covered only with sores, but he was clothed with something far more precious than anything in this world. God's own righteousness that covered all his sins. The rich man was covered by nothing except his riches and his own personal righteousness, which, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness by holy baptism. You are known. You are died for 
you are risen for, you are baptized. And so now, no matter what your name is, your baptismal name, no matter your circumstance in life, you can rejoice. You can believe that you are a little Lazarus. That is, one who has been helped. And those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. In the name of Jesus. There was a certain rich man, and there was a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus. In the name of Jesus. What's in a name? Depends on the name. God's name, your name, anyone's name. This parable, is it a parable? It is. Context proves it is. This parable is not about the proper use of wealth. The first clue to that is the names, which is a piece to this parable that we often brush over. The final clue comes at the end. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. More here than just how to spend your money. There was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. What's in a name? As far as this parable is concerned, everything. When you consider the names, everything else in the parable begins to make sense. And really, it all comes down to this. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord helps. That's Lazarus, or Eliezer. Same name, different languages. Literally, his name means, God is my help. What about the rich man? He has no name. Sometimes, he is called Dives, which is just Latin for rich, but in the parable Jesus tells, he's nameless. He's just a certain rich man. How rich? Very. He dressed in purple and fine linen. He had clothes fit for a king, as Proverbs 31 tells us. Clothing that also matched the material used to build the tabernacle or make the clothing for the high priest's vestments, as Exodus tells us. Not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. That is, every day at his house was like a fancy, swanky dinner party. And if he had all this wealth, he surely would have had his name on many things, many deeds, lots of property, lots of things, lots to his name. Everyone would have known his name. Maybe he was even a pillar of the community, but Jesus leaves that aspect to our imagination. No class warfare here. We are all wealthy. 
by the standards of Jesus' day. Yet in spite of all the rich man's things, all his fine clothing, all his feasting and partying, he has no name. Why is this rich man nameless? Well, to help us understand that, we've got to look at the other character in Jesus' story. We need to consider Lazarus. Lazarus had nothing. He was nothing by worldly standards. He was a beggar covered in nothing but sores. He was better off dead. His only friends were dogs who licked his sores. Dogs in Jesus' day uh, were not considered household pets. They were vermin who hung out with the dying, the dead. But yet, he's named. It's not a matter of station or class or what you can do or offer or what you own, have owned, will own. There's no need to make a name for yourself. No legacy needed. We care about such things too much. Deeds and titles and ownership stuff. We care about how our name will live on in this life. But none of that matters. It's all a matter of whether or not God knows your name. Jesus kept quiet about the rich man's name and mentioned the other name of, of the poor man. The rich man's name would have been thrown around in his life, but God kept quiet about it. The other man's name was lost in silence, yet God spoke it. Don't be surprised. God is just reading out what was written in his book. You see, God, who lives in heaven, kept quiet about the rich man's name because he did not find it written in heaven. He spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instructions for it to be written down. Or to use language from elsewhere in Scripture and tie it to the parable, Lazarus's name was found written in the Lamb's book of life. He was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He was a true son of Abraham, unlike the rich man. Paul says that those who believe are Abraham's offspring. After all, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. But it's not just that Abraham believed out of the blue. It had to do with what the Lord said, promised, and did. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord is and what he promises. He keeps his promises. That's how he helps and he saves. He is the shield. He is the great reward which is received by faith alone. 
Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord acted for Abraham's benefit. The Lord called Abram not on the basis of Abram's good deeds. Abraham actually believed in the false gods of the Ur of Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. That's where he was from. But the Lord had made a promise to save mankind, and so he kept that promise through Abraham. And so he called Abraham to faith and kept him in the faith unto life everlasting using his continual promises. Promises where he says, in you, in your offspring, the promised Savior, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the parable, Lazarus was brought to Abraham's bosom, his side. And that's just a roundabout way of saying God's presence. And if the rest of scriptures are to believe, then, well, Lazarus got there by faith alone. He was kept believing and trusting in what Yahweh, the Lord, did for him rather than what he could or did offer the Lord. Lazarus, his name is your comfort today. The way it was for him in Jesus' parable is the way it really is for you. The Lord acts as your shield and your reward. He helps you. He saves you. He is the shield against your sins and your suffering, even your death. He is your eternal reward. His cross and his empty tomb are the fulfillment of all his Old Testament promises. And now nothing changes the fact that you are known, known by name. It's all in the Lord's name. You are baptized. That's where you were placed into God's name, where his naming you in his book was made yours here and now. That's why you're saved. And baptism does that. As Peter himself says, baptism now saves you. The psalmist says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Those things have your name all over them. Don't trust them. Cling to them. You have God's name all over you. You're baptized. That, that means he's helped you. He has saved you. Cross, death, and resurrection. Nothing can undo Jesus' Calvary or his empty tomb, and so nothing can undo the promises he made to you in holy baptism, where his cross and his empty tomb were given you, as Paul says in Romans 6. Nothing can undo God's name that he gives you for free. You could exchange it for your stuff, like the rich man, but that ends 
in your eternal ruin. What are you afraid of losing? That's your false god. There's no protection, no shield, no lasting reward there. But the Lord has claimed you as his own. You are his reward. You are his heritage. As we said in the psalm, as we'll sing shortly in the Te Deum, you are the Lord's heritage, that is, his inheritance. What does the Lord want to inherit? You. The Lord then named you with his name at the font, even as the Son of God died and rose for you. This is how he helps and saves, and those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. There was a certain rich man, no name rich man, maybe priest, maybe king, doesn't really matter. Who's Lazarus? Him whom God helps? Child of God. One clothed in purple and fine linens, one covered only with sores, but he was clothed with something far more precious than anything in this world, God's own righteousness that covered all his sins. The rich man was covered by nothing except his riches and his own personal righteousness, which, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness by holy baptism. You are known. You are died for. You are risen for. You are baptized. And so now, no matter what your name is, your baptismal name, no matter your circumstance in life, you can rejoice. You can believe that you are a little Lazarus. That is, one who has been helped. And those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. In the name of Jesus. There was a certain rich man, and there was a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus. In the name of Jesus. What's in a name? Depends on the name. God's name, your name, anyone's name. This parable, is it a parable? It is. Context proves it is. This parable is not about the proper use of wealth. The first clue to that is the names, which is a piece to this parable that we often brush over. The final clue comes at the end. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. More here than just how to spend your money. There was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. What's in a name? As far as this parable is concerned, everything. When you consider the names, everything else in the parable begins to make sense. And really, it all comes down to this. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. 
the Lord helps. That's Lazarus, or Eliezer. Same name, different languages. Literally, his name means, God is my help. What about the rich man? He has no name. Sometimes he is called Dives, which is just Latin for rich. But in the parable Jesus tells, he's nameless. He's just a certain rich man. How rich? Very. He dressed in purple and fine linen. He had clothes fit for a king, as Proverbs 31 tells us. Clothing that also matched the material used to build the tabernacle or make the clothing for the high priest's vestments, as Exodus tells us. Not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. That is, every day at his house was like a fancy, swanky dinner party. And if he had all this wealth, he surely would have had his name on many things, many deeds, lots of property, lots of things, lots to his name. Everyone would have known his name. Maybe he was even a pillar of the community, but Jesus leaves that aspect to our imagination. No class warfare here. We are all wealthy by the standards of Jesus' day. Yet in spite of all the rich man's things, all his fine clothing, all his feasting and partying, he has no name. Why is this rich man nameless? Well, to help us understand that, we've got to look at the other character in Jesus' story. We need to consider Lazarus. Lazarus had nothing. He was nothing by worldly standards. He was a beggar covered in nothing but sores. He was better off dead. His only friends were dogs who licked his sores. Dogs in Jesus' day uh, were not considered household pets. They were vermin who hung out with the dying, the dead. But yet, he's named. It's not a matter of station or class or what you can do or offer or what you own, have owned, will own. There's no need to make a name for yourself. No legacy needed. We care about such things too much. Deeds and titles and ownership stuff. We care about how our name will live on in this life. But none of that matters. It's all a matter of whether or not God knows your name. Jesus kept quiet about the rich man's name 
and mention the other name of, of the poor man. The rich man's name would have been thrown around in his life, but God kept quiet about it. The other man's name was lost in silence, yet God spoke it. Don't be surprised. God is just reading out what was written in his book. You see, God, who lives in heaven, kept quiet about the rich man's name because he did not find it written in heaven. He spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instructions for it to be written down. Or to use language from elsewhere in Scripture and tie it to the parable, Lazarus' name was found written in the Lamb's book of life. He was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He was a true son of Abraham, unlike the rich man. Paul says that those who believe are Abraham's offspring. After all, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. But it's not just that Abraham believed out of the blue. It had to do with what the Lord said, promised, and did. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord is and what he promises. He keeps his promises. That's how he helps and he saves. He is the shield he is the great reward which is received by faith alone. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord acted for Abraham's benefit. The Lord called Abram not on the basis of Abram's good deeds. Abraham actually believed in the false gods of the Ur of Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. That's where he was from. But the Lord had made a promise to save mankind, and so he kept that promise through Abraham. And so he called Abraham to faith and kept him in the faith unto life everlasting, using his continual promises. <laughs> promises where he says, In you. In your offspring, the promised Savior, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the parable, Lazarus was brought to Abraham's bosom, his side. And that's just a roundabout way of saying God's presence. And if the rest of scriptures are to believe, then, well, Lazarus got there by faith alone. He was kept believing and trusting in what Yahweh, the Lord, did for him rather than what he could or did offer the Lord. Lazarus, his name is your comfort today. The way it was for him in Jesus' parable is the way it really is for you. The Lord acts as your shield and your reward. He helps you. He saves you. He is the shield against your sins and your suffering, even your death. 
He is your eternal reward. His cross and his empty tomb are the fulfillment of all his Old Testament promises. And now nothing changes the fact that you are known, known by name. It's all in the Lord's name. You are baptized. That's where you were placed into God's name, where his naming you in his book was made yours here and now. That's why you're saved. And baptism does that. As Peter himself says, baptism now saves you. The psalmist says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Those things have your name all over them. Don't trust them. Cling to them. You have God's name all over you. You're baptized. That, that means he's helped you. He has saved you. Cross, death, and resurrection. Nothing can undo Jesus' Calvary or his empty tomb, and so nothing can undo the promises he made to you in holy baptism, where his cross and his empty tomb were given you. As Paul says in Romans 6, nothing can undo God's name that he gives you for free. You could exchange it for your stuff, like the rich man, but that ends in your eternal ruin. What are you afraid of losing? That's your false god. There's no protection, no shield, no lasting reward there. But the Lord has claimed you as his own. You are his reward. You are his heritage. As we said in the psalm, as we'll sing shortly in the Te Deum, you are the Lord's heritage, that is, his inheritance. What does the Lord want to inherit? You. The Lord then named you with his name at the font, even as the Son of God died and rose for you. This is how he helps and saves, and those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. There was a certain rich man, no name rich man, maybe priest, maybe king, doesn't really matter. Who's Lazarus? Him whom God helps? Child of God. One clothed in purple and fine linens, one covered only with sores, but he was clothed with something far more precious than anything in this world, God's own righteousness that covered all his sins. The rich man was covered by nothing except his riches and his own personal righteousness, which, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness by holy baptism. You are known. You are died for. You are risen for. You are baptized. And so now, 
no matter what your name is, your baptismal name, no matter your circumstance in life, you can rejoice. You can believe that you are a little Lazarus. That is, one who has been helped. And those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. In the name of Jesus. There was a certain rich man, and there was a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus. In the name of Jesus. What's in a name? Depends on the name. God's name, your name, anyone's name. This parable, is it a parable? It is. Context proves it is. This parable is not about the proper use of wealth. The first clue to that is the names, which is a piece to this parable that we often brush over. The final clue comes at the end. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. More here than just how to spend your money. There was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. What's in a name? As far as this parable is concerned, everything. When you consider the names, everything else in the parable begins to make sense. And really, it all comes down to this. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord helps. That's Lazarus, or Eliezer. Same name, different languages. Literally, his name means, God is my help. What about the rich man? He has no name. Sometimes, he is called Dives, which is just Latin for rich, but in the parable Jesus tells, he's nameless. He's just a certain rich man. How rich? Very. He dressed in purple and fine linen. He had clothes fit for a king, as Proverbs 31 tells us. Clothing that also matched the material used to build the tabernacle or make the clothing for the high priest's vestments, as Exodus tells us. Not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. That is, every day at his house was like a fancy, swanky dinner party. And if he had all this wealth, he surely would have had his name on many things, many deeds, lots of property, lots of things, lots to his name. Everyone would have known his name. Maybe he was even a pillar of the community, but Jesus leaves that aspect to our imagination. No class warfare here. We are all wealthy by the standards of Jesus' day. Yet in spite 
of all the rich man's things, all his fine clothing, all his feasting and partying, he has no name. Why is this rich man nameless? Well, to help us understand that, we've got to look at the other character in Jesus' story. We need to consider Lazarus. Lazarus had nothing. He was nothing by worldly standards. He was a beggar covered in nothing but sores. He was better off dead. His only friends were dogs who licked his sores. Dogs in Jesus' day uh, were not considered household pets. They were vermin who hung out with the dying, the dead. But yet, he's named. It's not a matter of station or class or what you can do or offer or what you own, have owned, will own. There's no need to make a name for yourself. No legacy needed. We care about such things too much. Deeds and titles and ownership stuff. We care about how our name will live on in this life. But none of that matters. It's all a matter of whether or not God knows your name. Jesus kept quiet about the rich man's name and mentioned the other name of, of the poor man. The rich man's name would have been thrown around in his life, but God kept quiet about it. The other man's name was lost in silence, yet God spoke it. Don't be surprised. God is just reading out what was written in his book. You see, God, who lives in heaven, kept quiet about the rich man's name because he did not find it written in heaven. He spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instructions for it to be written down. Or to use language from elsewhere in Scripture and tie it to the parable, Lazarus' name was found written in the Lamb's book of life. He was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He was a true son of Abraham, unlike the rich man. Paul says that those who believe are Abraham's offspring. After all, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. But it's not just that Abraham believed out of the blue. It had to do with what the Lord said, promised, and did. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord is and what he promises. He keeps his promises. That's how he helps and he saves. He is the shield. He is the great reward which is received by faith alone. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. 
The Lord acted for Abraham's benefit. The Lord called Abram not on the basis of Abram's good deeds. Abraham actually believed in the false gods of the Ur of Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. That's where he was from. But the Lord had made a promise to save mankind, and so he kept that promise through Abraham. And so he called Abraham to faith and kept him in the faith unto life everlasting using his continual promises. Promises where he says, in you, in your offspring, the promised Savior, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the parable, Lazarus was brought to Abraham's bosom, his side. And that's just a roundabout way of saying God's presence. And if the rest of scriptures are to believe, then, well, Lazarus got there by faith alone. He was kept believing and trusting in what Yahweh, the Lord, did for him rather than what he could or did offer the Lord. Lazarus, his name is your comfort today. The way it was for him in Jesus' parable is the way it really is for you. The Lord acts as your shield and your reward. He helps you. He saves you. He is the shield against your sins and your suffering, even your death. He is your eternal reward. His cross and his empty tomb are the fulfillment of all his Old Testament promises. And now nothing changes the fact that you are known, known by name. It's all in the Lord's name. You are baptized. That's where you were placed into God's name, where his naming you in his book was made yours here and now. That's why you're saved. And baptism does that. As Peter himself says, baptism now saves you. The psalmist says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Those things have your name all over them. Don't trust them. Cling to them. You have God's name all over you. You're baptized. That, that means he's helped you. He has saved you. Cross, death, and resurrection. Nothing can undo Jesus' Calvary or his empty tomb, and so nothing can undo the promises he made to you in holy baptism, where his cross and his empty tomb were given you, as Paul says in Romans 6. Nothing can undo God's name that he gives you for free. You could exchange it for your stuff, like the rich man, but that ends in your eternal ruin. What are you afraid of losing? 
That's your false god. There's no protection, no shield, no lasting reward there. But the Lord has claimed you as his own. You are his reward. You are his heritage. As we said in the psalm, as we'll sing shortly in the Te Deum, you are the Lord's heritage, that is, his inheritance. What does the Lord want to inherit? You. The Lord then named you with his name at the font, even as the Son of God died and rose for you. This is how he helps and saves, and those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. There was a certain rich man, no name rich man, maybe priest, maybe king, doesn't really matter. Who's Lazarus? Him whom God helps? Child of God. One clothed in purple and fine linens, one covered only with sores, but he was clothed with something far more precious than anything in this world, God's own righteousness that covered all his sins. The rich man was covered by nothing except his riches and his own personal righteousness, which, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness by holy baptism. You are known. You are died for. You are risen for. You are baptized. And so now, no matter what your name is, your baptismal name, no matter your circumstance in life, you can rejoice. You can believe that you are a little Lazarus. That is, one who has been helped. And those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. In the name of Jesus. There was a certain rich man, and there was a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus. In the name of Jesus, what's in a name? Depends on the name. God's name, your name, anyone's name. This parable, is it a parable? It is. Context proves it is. This parable is not about the proper use of wealth. The first clue to that is the names, which is a piece to this parable that we often brush over. The final clue comes at the end. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. More here than just how to spend your money. There was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. What's in a name? As far as this parable is concerned, everything. When you consider the names, everything else in the parable begins to make sense. And really, it all comes down to this. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord helps. That's Lazarus, or Eliezer. Same name, 
different languages. Literally, his name means God is my help. What about the rich man? He has no name. Sometimes he is called Dives, which is just Latin for rich. But in the parable Jesus tells, he's nameless. He's just a certain rich man. How rich? Very. He dressed in purple and fine linen. He had clothes fit for a king, as Proverbs 31 tells us, clothing that also matched the material used to build the tabernacle or make the clothing for the high priest's vestments, as Exodus tells us. Not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. That is, every day at his house was like a fancy, swanky dinner party. And if he had all this wealth, he surely would have had his name on many things, many deeds, lots of property, lots of things, lots to his name. Everyone would have known his name. Maybe he was even a pillar of the community, but Jesus leaves that aspect to our imagination. No class warfare here. We are all wealthy by the standards of Jesus' day. Yet in spite of all the rich man's things, all his fine clothing, all his feasting and partying, he has no name. Why is this rich man nameless? Well, to help us understand that, we've got to look at the other character in Jesus' story. We need to consider Lazarus. Lazarus had nothing. He was nothing by worldly standards. He was a beggar covered in nothing but sores. He was better off dead. His only friends were dogs who licked his sores. Dogs in Jesus' day uh, were not considered household pets. They were vermin who hung out with the dying, the dead. But yet, he's named. It's not a matter of station or class or what you can do or offer or what you own, have owned, will own. There's no need to make a name for yourself. No legacy needed. We care about such things too much. Deeds and titles and ownership stuff. We care about how our name will live on in this life. But none of that matters. It's all a matter of whether or not God knows your name. Jesus kept quiet about the rich man's name and mentioned the other name of, of the poor man. The rich man's name would have been thrown around in his life, but God kept quiet about it. 
The other man's name was lost in silence. Yet God spoke it. Don't be surprised. God is just reading out what was written in his book. You see, God, who lives in heaven, kept quiet about the rich man's name because he did not find it written in heaven. He spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instructions for it to be written down. Or to use language from elsewhere in Scripture and tie it to the parable, Lazarus' name was found written in the Lamb's book of life. He was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He was a true son of Abraham, unlike the rich man. Paul says that those who believe are Abraham's offspring. After all, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. But it's not just that Abraham believed out of the blue. It had to do with what the Lord said, promised, and did. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord is and what he promises. He keeps his promises. That's how he helps and he saves. He is the shield. He is the great reward which is received by faith alone. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord acted for Abraham's benefit. The Lord called Abram not on the basis of Abram's good deeds. Abraham actually believed in the false gods of, the Ur, of Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. That's where he was from. But the Lord had made a promise to save mankind, and so he kept that promise through Abraham. And so he called Abraham to faith and kept him in the faith unto life everlasting using his continual promises. Promises where he says, in you, in your offspring, the promised Savior, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the parable, Lazarus was brought to Abraham's bosom. His side. And that's just a roundabout way of saying God's presence. And if the rest of scriptures are to believe, then, well, Lazarus got there by faith alone. He was kept believing and trusting in what Yahweh, the Lord, did for him rather than what he could or did offer the Lord. Lazarus, his name is your comfort today. The way it was for him in Jesus' parable is the way it really is for you. The Lord acts as your shield and your reward. He helps you. He saves you. He is the shield against your sins and your suffering, even your death. He is your eternal reward. His cross and his empty tomb are the fulfillment of all his Old Testament promises. 
And now nothing changes the fact that you are known. Known by name. It's all in the Lord's name. You are baptized. That's where you were placed into God's name. Where his naming you in his book was made yours here and now. That's why you're saved. And baptism does that. As Peter himself says, baptism now saves you. The psalmist says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Those things have your name all over them. Don't trust them. Cling to them. You have God's name all over you. You're baptized. That, that means he's helped you. He has saved you. Cross, death, and resurrection. Nothing can undo Jesus' Calvary or his empty tomb, and so nothing can undo the promises he made to you in holy baptism, where his cross and his empty tomb were given you, as Paul says in Romans 6. Nothing can undo God's name that he gives you for free. You could exchange it for your stuff, like the rich man, but that ends in your eternal ruin. What are you afraid of losing? That's your false god. There's no protection, no shield, no lasting reward there. But the Lord has claimed you as his own. You are his reward. You are his heritage. As we said in the psalm, as we'll sing shortly in the Te Deum, you are the Lord's heritage, that is, his inheritance. What does the Lord want to inherit? You. The Lord then named you with his name at the font, even as the Son of God died and rose for you. This is how he helps and saves, and those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. There was a certain rich man, no name rich man, maybe priest, maybe king, doesn't really matter. Who's Lazarus? Him whom God helps? Child of God. One clothed in purple and fine linens, one covered only with sores, but he was clothed with something far more precious than anything in this world, God's own righteousness that covered all his sins. The rich man was covered by nothing except his riches and his own personal righteousness, which, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness by holy baptism. You are known. You are died for. You are risen for. You are baptized. And so now, no matter what your name is, your baptismal name, no matter your circumstance in life, you can rejoice. You can believe that you are a little Lazarus.
that is, one who has been helped. And those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. In the name of Jesus. There was a certain rich man, and there was a certain poor man, whose name was Lazarus. In the name of Jesus. What's in a name? Depends on the name. God's name, your name, anyone's name. This parable, is it a parable? It is. Context proves it is. This parable is not about the proper use of wealth. The first clue to that is the names, which is a piece to this parable that we often brush over. The final clue comes at the end. They have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, neither will they be convinced when someone rises from the dead. More here than just how to spend your money. There was a certain rich man and there was a certain poor man whose name was Lazarus. What's in a name? As far as this parable is concerned, everything. When you consider the names, everything else in the parable begins to make sense. And really, it all comes down to this. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord helps. That's Lazarus, or Eliezer. Same name, different languages. Literally, his name means God is my help. What about the rich man? He has no name. Sometimes he is called Dives, which is just Latin for rich. But in the parable Jesus tells, he's nameless. He's just a certain rich man. How rich? Very he dressed in purple and fine linen. He had clothes fit for a king, as Proverbs 31 tells us, clothing that also matched the material used to build the tabernacle or make the clothing for the high priest's vestments, as Exodus tells us. Not only that, he feasted sumptuously every day. That is, every day at his house was like a fancy, swanky dinner party. And if he had all this wealth, he surely would have had his name on many things. Many deeds, lots of property, lots of things, lots to his name. Everyone would have known his name. Maybe he was even a pillar of the community, but Jesus leaves that aspect to our imagination. No class warfare here. We are all wealthy by the standards of Jesus' day. Yet in spite of all the rich man's things, all his fine clothing, all his feasting and partying, he has no name. Why is this rich man 
nameless? Well, to help us understand that, we've got to look at the other character in Jesus' story. We need to consider Lazarus. Lazarus had nothing. He was nothing by worldly standards. He was a beggar, covered in nothing but sores. He was better off dead. His only friends were dogs who licked his sores. Dogs in Jesus' day uh, were not considered household pets. They were vermin who hung out with the dying, the dead. But yet, he's named. It's not a matter of station or class or what you can do or offer or what you own, have owned, will own. There's no need to make a name for yourself. No legacy needed. We care about such things too much. Deeds and titles and ownership stuff. We care about how our name will live on in this life. But none of that matters. It's all a matter of whether or not God knows your name. Jesus kept quiet about the rich man's name and mentioned the other name of, of the poor man. The rich man's name would have been thrown around in his life, but God kept quiet about it. The other man's name was lost in silence, yet God spoke it. Don't be surprised. God is just reading out what was written in his book. You see, God, who lives in heaven, kept quiet about the rich man's name because he did not find it written in heaven. He spoke the poor man's name because he found it written there. Indeed, he gave instructions for it to be written down. Or to use language from elsewhere in Scripture and tie it to the parable, Lazarus' name was found written in the Lamb's book of life. He was chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. He was a true son of Abraham, unlike the rich man. Paul says that those who believe are Abraham's offspring. After all, Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. But it's not just that Abraham believed out of the blue. It had to do with what the Lord said, promised, and did. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That's what the Lord is and what he promises. He keeps his promises. That's how he helps and he saves. He is the shield. He is the great reward which is received by faith alone. Those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. The Lord acted for Abraham's benefit. The Lord called Abram not on the basis of Abram's good deeds. Abraham 
actually believed in the false gods of the Ur, of Ur, a city of the Chaldeans. That's where he was from. But the Lord had made a promise to save mankind, and so he kept that promise through Abraham. And so he called Abraham to faith and kept him in the faith until life everlasting using his continual promises. Promises where he says, in you, in your offspring, the promised Savior, all nations of the earth will be blessed. In the parable, Lazarus was brought to Abraham's bosom, his side. And that's just a roundabout way of saying God's presence. And if the rest of scriptures are to believe, then, well, Lazarus got there by faith alone. He was kept believing and trusting in what Yahweh, the Lord, did for him rather than what he could or did offer the Lord. Lazarus, his name is your comfort today. The way it was for him in Jesus' parable is the way it really is for you. The Lord acts as your shield and your reward. He helps you. He saves you. He is the shield against your sins and your suffering, even your death. He is your eternal reward. His cross and his empty tomb are the fulfillment of all his Old Testament promises. And now nothing changes the fact that you are known, known by name. It's all in the Lord's name. You are baptized. That's where you were placed into God's name, where his naming you in his book was made yours here and now. That's why you're saved. And baptism does that. As Peter himself says, baptism now saves you. The psalmist says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Those things have your name all over them. Don't trust them. Cling to them. You have God's name all over you. You're baptized. That, that means he's helped you. He has saved you. Cross, death, and resurrection. Nothing can undo Jesus' Calvary or his empty tomb, and so nothing can undo the promises he made to you in holy baptism, where his cross and his empty tomb were given you, as Paul says in Romans 6. Nothing can undo God's name that he gives you for free. You could exchange it for your stuff, like the rich man, but that ends in your eternal ruin. What are you afraid of losing? That's your false god. There's no protection, no shield, no lasting reward there. 
but the Lord has claimed you as his own. You are his reward. You are his heritage. As we said in the psalm, as we'll sing shortly in the Te Deum, you are the Lord's heritage, that is, his inheritance. What does the Lord want to inherit? You. The Lord then named you with his name at the font, even as the Son of God died and rose for you. This is how he helps and saves, and those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. There was a certain rich man, no name rich man, maybe priest, maybe king, doesn't really matter. Who's Lazarus? Him whom God helps? Child of God. One clothed in purple and fine linens, one covered only with sores, but he was clothed with something far more precious than anything in this world, God's own righteousness that covered all his sins. The rich man was covered by nothing except his riches and his own personal righteousness, which, as Isaiah says, are filthy rags. You are clothed in Christ's righteousness by holy baptism. You are known. You are died for. You are risen for. You are baptized. And so now, no matter what your name is, your baptismal name, no matter your circumstance in life, you can rejoice. You can believe that you are a little Lazarus. That is, one who has been helped. And those whom the Lord helps are helped, saved forever. In the name of Jesus.